Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we're here to bring you minute number three of Jurassic Park. Brady, how are you doing this morning? Doing good. How about you? I'm doing pretty good too. You got your uh, breakfast and your coffee there in front of you? I did. You know, we wake up so early in the morning to record this podcast and put it out for the listeners. That, that, we do. Uh, you know, we wake up on this, uh, our, our non-GMO, uh, you know, of... <laughs> Fair Trade Farm, where we go and pick the podcast up out of the fields in the morning and deliver it here to you. That's folks. right. Yeah. All right. And today we got minute number three of Jurassic Park. So again, we are still in the sequence where Muldoon and the rest of the Jurassic Park employees are loading a Velociraptor into the Velociraptor paddock. And as things go in Jurassic Park, well, they don't go well. Things will progress in a very chaotic manner. So, Brady, you ready to get into minute number three? Let's do it. Let's do it. In the previous minute, we saw the crate carrying a dinosaur move into position by a Jurassic Park security crew. The gatekeeper had moved into position and was lifting the gate to the crate. At three minutes, Joffrey, the gatekeeper, is lifting the gate. As he lifts it into the air, beams of light shine through the holes of the gate. Joffrey lifts the gate as high as he can. At three minutes, five seconds, the creature inside of the gate shrieks and we can see its shadow run through the crate. At 3 minutes 6 seconds, the creature bolts across the crate, causing it to slide away from the paddock, sending Joffrey over the top and down to the ground. At 3 minutes 8 seconds, as Joffrey tries to stand, the crate is pushed further from the paddock. The security team runs in with weapons drawn. At 3 minutes 10 seconds, Joffrey attempts to stand but is pulled violently back towards the opening of the crate. Joffrey screams and grabs the side of the crate from being pulled any further in. Muldoon screams for the security team to block the opening and not to let her out. At 3 minutes 17 seconds, Muldoon grabs Joffrey and attempts to pull him from the grip of the unseen creature. Animalistic sounds can be heard coming from inside of the crate. At 3 minutes 23 seconds, Joffrey is lifted into the air by the unseen creature. Muldoon stands and grabs Joffrey in an attempt to anchor him. Muldoon screams for the security team to move in and work her back. The security team moves in and shoves their cattle prods into the crate, zapping the unseen creature. At 3 minutes 34 seconds, we see a close-up of the creature's eyeball. It is reptilian. The creature locks eyes with Muldoon. He is clearly frightened by what he sees. At 3 minutes 41 seconds, Muldoon is losing his grip on Joffrey. He screams for the security team to open fire on the creature. At 3 minutes 45 seconds, Muldoon again screams for the gunfire. As he screams, shoot her, Joffrey screams one last time and is pulled into the crate. The sounds of gunshots echo through the jungle. At 3 minutes 53 seconds, we fade to a shot of Gennaro crossing a creek on a hand-pulled ferry. And thus ends minute number three of Jurassic Park. All right, so this is uh, this scene was filmed, of course, a, a lot of Jurassic Park was filmed uh, on Oahu. And uh, we'll get into some of that as we go along. Some of it was filmed in Los Angeles, a lot of the interiors, but a lot of it was filmed in Oahu. And Kauai. And Kauai, yeah. This prologue was actually filmed in Limahuli Gardens, uh, which is on Kui, Kuiho Highway, and I apologize again for butchering these these words, but uh, yeah, it was filmed uh, on Kauai's northern coast, and that garden has been there since 1976, so it's a botanical garden where they filmed this whole thing, which uh, would explain why we have so much uh, the fauna around everything, mm-hmm. you know, all It's a beautiful the, uh, area. Flora, flora, I always get those two mixed up, flora, florist, florist plants, all the trees and everything where the crate's coming through, so. There you go. Yeah. So again, this gatekeeper position just seems like a really poorly designed thing, you know, like I wish there was some sort of locking mechanism to save this poor man's life, but there isn't, and as you said, that's uh, what we need to push the story forward, but yeah. uh, 
In a minute, we have Gennaro showing up uh, to the Amber Mine to talk about the lawsuit. And he mean, he mentions it's a $20 million lawsuit, I think, that the family of uh, Joffrey here are trying to get out of the park. And I have to say, they should probably just pay it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Engine has $20 million. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if they had enough to construct and build all this stuff, they, they probably do. So, uh, so uh, there's a couple of uh, flubs going on here. Now... There's a, this movie has a lot of goofs, a lot of flubs going on, because Steven Spielberg had kind of a philosophy when they made this movie is that he wasn't going to do more than five takes on any scene, so they had to get the best they could within those five takes. I, I don't know if that's actually what happened, but that's the story that Steven Spielberg has talked about, uh, and you can tell that was the case because there's a lot of errors, a lot of inconsistencies going on, but you don't really notice them as you're watching the movie. Now, when you're doing a minute by minute podcast and you go back to watch it, you catch all these things, you know, there's, it's been well documented online that there's a lot of flubs, but, uh, in this, we have a couple Muldoon's hat falls off, uh, and then it reappears on his head. And he also jumps up to grab the gatekeeper twice. He jumps up, they kind of cut a minute, and you kind of see him jump up again to grab him. When when Gatekeeper falls, and he falls like right down into the camera for like a, a frame or two, you see a hand yeah. come up right in front of the front of the lens and stop him. And it's like, I know that someone would have seen that in an editing room. And even if you're just trying to cut yourself off at five takes, that's still a pretty obvious thing. Yeah. But again... But they might not have four other takes that work better. It might be the best one. I'm sure there was an editor that kept banging his head on the, on the editing yeah. bay. You know to, what I mean? Like, this is the best we have. To the film's credit you don't even notice it. And there's another yeah. big, 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 big inconsistency that comes later. I, I might point out, but I don't want to ruin the sequence for anybody who's not aware of it. But it is something that happens right in your face and you don't even notice it. And that's just... Uh, it's the charm of the scene. The you're you're, you're caught up scene. in what's yeah, going on. You know, It's the lighting, the music, it's the acting, it's yeah. everything else. You don't notice little it's inconsistencies just, The like movie that. is doing it just that well. Now, Spielberg was coming off of Hook, which I think was just a very, very, very overly primed movie. Yeah. And uh, that's... You know, um, Hook, Hook has a lot of cool stuff going on in it. Production design, score, uh, just a bunch of stuff. And um, But it's it's a film that you can tell was just so overly primed. And I think he was probably saying, okay, I put all of that detail, all right. of that effort into Hook, and, and that's what I... It didn't make it a better movie. And it yeah. didn't make it a better movie. Well, let's just go make Jurassic Park and let's do it. Five takes, boom, move on. Five well, takes, with five boom, takes too, you're probably not wearing your actors out. You're not wearing your crew that too, out. So yeah. everybody's kind of got a better attitude moving forward. And as a director, that is the thing. You do have to look at it as an artistic piece, but you're also responsible for the business aspect of this film being made. You're the one who's responsible at the end of the day. Did did you know? Did we get enough coverage? Uh, as a you know, you also did everything stay on budget? Yeah, it's know? a good way to control budget. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, in this, I mean, you know, it's. It's funny because of the day we live now, you could fix a lot of this stuff with CG. You know, you could fix like, you know, the sign when uh, I think it's uh, Nedry later on, there's like a boat sign that points in two different directions in a, in a couple of cuts. You could very easily just use After Effects to replace one of those with the other. So, but of course, uh, they didn't know that back then. This is the first foray into CGI. And again, again, stuff. you mentioned that about the sign or whatever. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never noticed Oh, well, I'll show you later, yeah. So, yeah, but that's just to the filmmaker's credit that yeah. we don't even notice the stuff most of the time. So this scene out of... All the scenes in the movie reminds me more of Jaws than any other sequence in the movie. Mm-hmm. The, the opening of Jaws specifically, where you have the young woman and the young man at the uh, around the fire meeting each other, and then you know she takes off skinny dips into the water and gets attacked by a shark. I see a lot of similarities in that in the way that uh, Joffrey's being tossed around by the Velociraptor. You're not seeing. Yeah. You're not seeing it. You don't know what's going on. It's still kind of spooky. It's low lit. It's in the dark. It's uh. It's but it worked in Jaws. Uh, to great effect. It works in Jurassic Park very well as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really like the. Uh it's a cool touch where 
There's a little stare down real quick. Muldoon catches the glance of the raptor, and they're right. looking they right look at each other. Yeah. And it's one of those things, like, you know, the the raptor knows that you're looking at him, and he's yeah. looking at you and all this. And uh, the attitude that Muldoon has later about the velociraptors are informed because he's the guy that's been there on the ground floor seeing what killing machines these things are. Yeah, he is against having raptors in the thing. He says later they yeah. should all be destroyed and everything. Yeah, so Muldoon, you know, ordering all of them in to uh, shoot the raptor. Just kind of shows that this guy is 100% completely against the idea of having raptors on in the whole thing to begin with. And uh, I just think that's so interesting. That's something they continue to carry throughout the film that I always notice. And like, So uh, there's also a close-up of Joffrey's hand sliding through Muldoon's arm whenever he's you know trying to keep him alive. And uh, there's a close-up of Muldoon's watch, which I thought was such a cool-looking watch because it's like the watch face plus a uh, compass right, yeah. on, the, on the wristband. It definitely looks like the kind of watch that somebody who, would, who does Muldoon's thing would do. And it's set to uh, 11.24 p.m., but it's a Miyoto 4800 jewel movement plus compass watch. It's very nice. The people yeah. really go nuts over watches in movies. There's entire blogs out there over like what, what kind of watch James Bond is wearing in different movies. I know that the watches in Aliens, the Casio watches, people went to great lengths to try to get a hold of those for cosplay and things like that. So, all right, we got anything else for this minute? No, that's it for me. All right, great. Well, folks, we'll be back tomorrow for a Friday episode, but until then, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at jurassicparkminute at gmail.com and visit us online at jurassicparkminute.com, facebook.com slash jurassicparkminute, and twitter.com slash Jurassic Minute.